Well, welcome to A Voice in the Distance Ministries, as today we're going to be in the book of Exodus in chapter 2. And uh, just to recap a little bit on chapter 1, uh, that message was titled, How Things Have Changed. And if you could understand the title of that message, uh, maybe imagine yourself being in a city that you've been in for years, right? You've never, But you've never left, but you've seen changes happen. And... People have asked me before if I was, uh, you know, you're not really big on change, are you? You don't really like change. And I've always said to them, I was like, well, I'm just like any other normal person in regards to change. If it's a good change, I'm fine with it. If it's a bad change, I'm not going to like it. And I really think that's how most people are. But some people adapt to certain things. Now, unfortunately, in Egypt... What was going on here during this time of Exodus was there was a bad change, a very bad change that escalated from bad to worse. And, and when I look at it again, I was giving the examples of cities or neighborhoods, if you will. And even myself, you know, I look back at my hometown and, and neighboring cities around the area in uh, Southern California where I grew up. And where I grew up was it, was, it wasn't the greatest of areas and uh, it had a bad reputation. And I, I'll never forget, in uh, 1992, I think it was rated the, the second worst place to live in Southern California at one point. Now, things change over the years. You know, it goes up and down. The education rates get better or, or um, you know, housing market gets better, whatever the case may be. But it still has that reputation, my, my hometown. But you see, when I talk to people that have lived there, Oh, back in, say, maybe from the 1950s to the 60s, they started to see a change from the 1970s. And then come the 1980s, the, it started to get just a little worse, okay? And I watched it happen, and then, and then, uh, and then come the 90s, it got worse, and, and, and it started to continue to raise. They were raising the bar while lowering the standards, but the sad thing was to see my hometown had some interesting history, some rich history to it. And, you know, you could go, you could go to the museum in the hometown and, and, and speak to people that, um, that had been there for years. And they have to look back and think to themselves, like, what a shame. What a shame that, that, of how things have come to where they're at. Nothing is nothing is harder than have to uh, than have to observe your home, or to observe your place of of living, to watch it go downhill when it was once a good place to live. And don't get me wrong, I love my hometown. I will always love and have a heart for my hometown because there's still good areas there. There's still good things going on there. The Lord is there doing amazing things in, in, in um, handfuls of churches in my, in my town and then some in the neighboring areas. But yes, there is, a lot of, there is a lot of struggle between good and evil, but so is it in all places. We forget that even in, in these quiet little towns that look like these places that are ideal to live, that somewhere lies darkness in these places as well. But to witness the downfall is not easy to do. And now, give or take, the, uh, the Jews had been inhabiting in Egypt for 400 years. And some of the oldest ones that happened to have witnessed in chapter 1 when we went, they started to enslave them. And some of the older ones that lived there were thinking to themselves, like, hold on a minute here, just a couple of years ago everything was perfectly fine. Now we're being enslaved. Now we're, having to, we're being forced to make uh, bricks and out of mud. We're, we're being whipped. We're, we're 
our freedom has been taken from us. You know, the Lord led us here, you know, and Joseph, who was one of our own, was, was considered the second in command in the Egyptian empire, or technically was uh, considered the uh, second command in the world at that time, if you think about it, because Egypt was in power. It was an absolute power. And at this time, Egypt is still in power. It was considered the uh, representation of the world back then. But even when you look at Egypt, even they can say what happened. Where did the good times go? See, God's in control of all places. And where God's people of light inhabit those places, then we see light. And when we see people turning to the areas of darkness, we see darkness inhabited the land, and then everything else from there tends to go downhill. Well, we're going to be taking a look. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 2. The title of this message is, A Leader is Born. And we're going to be getting into... A, a very uh, well-known figure that we all know of by the name of Moses. And so this is going to be the birth of Moses and it's going to cover some of his uh it's going to cover some of his life just in in uh one chapter here. And so it doesn't cover it's amazing because you know at this time it doesn't cover a lot of his background it just covered some of the basics about him. So let's take a look here in, in chapter 2, in uh, verses uh, 1 through 6, we're going to be looking at, it says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of, of uh, bushes. Uh, for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, but the chi- put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. But then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her, ma- uh, her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this one, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So here we have the birth of one of the most influential people in the Old Testament and in Judaism, and that was Moses. And unfortunately, he was born in a rough time in the Egyptian empire, as it was commanded at the point in the previous, uh, in the previous chapter, it was commanded that all male Hebrew babies were, uh, that were born were to be killed. And it was to be done by drowning them in the Nile River. Well, Moses' mother uh, did that after three months, but in a way that was to save him versus drowning him. She did put him in the Nile River, but it's, she was being partially obedient here, it looks like, but being more so obedient to God, because for three months, it looks like, they had to keep him hidden. See, as it was commanded that as soon as the birth of a male happened, he was to be killed right away. It was commanded by the Pharaoh. So with care and, and probably the life of absolute solitude, they had to live in hiding this for this uh, past three months. And this was a way to keep from the Hebrew race to, uh, to actually continue by the paranoid Pharaoh. He, uh, Pharaoh was trying to eliminate the Hebrew race. So his mother was looking for a way to defeat the evil act of Pharaoh's command while trusting in God. And she was able to build this little ark-like basket. And the, the ancient Egyptian boats were built with uh, papyrus reeds. 
And then they would uh, seal it w- uh, with tar to waterproof it, which is what pitch was. But in her ability to create this little boat-like basket, she had to rely more on the hand of God. Right? Because imagine having to do such a thing. Because there had to be numerous heart-wrenching events of mothers being forced to throw their own sons in the Nile River. And Moses' parents, I'm sure, knew of the events and some of the, they had to have known some of the victims. As if it was commanded from the Pharaoh, then it happened. And probably by numerous deaths. But you see, but God would allow Moses to not just make it, not just survive, but to thrive. Because of all places on such a large stretch of a river, the daughter of the Pharaoh was bathing in the area. Coincidence? I think not. Because and, and it gets even better. But a, a woman who was taught to despise the Hebrew people had compassion on this baby Moses. And the hand of God does things that we do not always understand, but much is revealed when you look at the big picture. Because the Pharaoh commands to kill male children as an act of Satan in the mind of heart in the mind and heart of the Pharaoh. And then we have the finding and compassion on baby Moses from the daughter of the Pharaoh who hates the Hebrews, which is an act of God. The babies who were killed are automatically with the Lord in his presence. God says enough. It's time to rise up, and it's time to rise up one to deliver my people. And Moses being such a beautiful, stunning baby attracted the daughter. And but you know all babies are beautiful, but it says here that, that uh, and precious. But Moses really stood out here as one of those type of babies that really just stood out. And we look at the hard, intensive labor that the Hebrews had to endure. Well, that was an act of Satan. But during that intensive labor, it builds strength physically and in character, making it making it possible for the Exodus to come through as they're going to travel in the desert. Well, that was an act of God. <laughs> many, many say that why, why would God allow this to happen? Well, we have the word of God to show us how God operates when Satan spreads diseases. And if you want to see how God operates, check out what happens in the next verses here as we go through uh, verses 7 through 10. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. The Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. (laughs) This is obvious. It's obvious that the fingerprints of God are all over this event. Because of all people to find Moses in the basket, and of course at the time, you know, God cued Moses to start crying, right? To get the attention of the princess of Egypt. Now we have Miriam, who was Moses' older sister, is right there to see her, find him, and then approaches the princess to suggest a nursing caregiver. And that nursing caregiver who will get to raise Moses to an extent by unknowing relationship, and then even get paid for it as his own birth mother. Now, we cannot look at the scenario and say that God had nothing to do with this, because this is proof that God doesn't need much from us to accomplish his plan for our, our lives. Some faith first, 
some action after and the rest is up to him and however he does it. But th- this predicament could have paralyzed his mother. This looked like an impossible thing to have overcome. You know, survival first and foremost. But to, but to have all of this and get paid to, ri- to raise your own son. You should have been killed, right? You should have, who should have been killed is an amazing blessing. Moses should have died. Moses, if she put him in this basket and sent him down the river, he, he, he could have easily probably died by something or, or been found by somebody and, and then killed. Because, oh, we obviously have a, a, a male Hebrew. Now, we look at Moses. See, Moses was a beautiful baby because, in fact, uh, um, according to this uh, Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, he said that uh, Moses was so attractive that people would actually stop whatever they were doing and stop and stare. Now, created by God for a reason, obviously, to be used from the inside out. But looking at this and, and concentrating on God and his power will help us through a, uh, through a tough trial or scenario. Because I've preached a sermon not, to, uh, not long ago t- titled, Impossible is Not in the Lord's Vocabulary. And this could have easily been a perfect title, but that would have, uh, that, that would have to be titled over and over again through the Bible. <laughs> and his name was God, right? His name was God, chosen. We didn't have a name for his parents while in hiding. So they named him on the spot, right? His name was Moses, God chosen. M- Moses means drawn out. Sort of like drawing water out of a well. But, but again, if, if you're familiar with his, his life, or the life and perks of being in prestige of the Egyptian empire, Moses would be enjoying the best of the best. He would, be, uh, he would become extremely educated as the Egyptians were on the top of the world at that time of brilliant people. Uh, they had the top wisdom teachers called sages back then in which Moses would be receiving the best of all of those things because Egypt was a good holding place for 400 years for the Israelites. Okay, After all, Joseph, who was a Hebrew, was second command 400 years back, all of it in God's plan. But now Moses would be considered a big deal as he was an adopted son to the princess of the empire. And like I said before, we didn't get too much of his background as he was growing up. But if you're familiar with the culture, you can know that he was extremely privileged. His story jumps some, uh, some years from birth to adulthood now. And we're going to see what happens now in verse 11. So, um, again, not much from his birth to his teenage years, but it jumps right into his adulthood. In verse 11 through 15... It says, now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and told and, uh, and hid him in the sand. They buried him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting And he said to one, who did the wrong? Why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this this thing is known. 
So when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the, from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You know, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, it actually mentioned this account. And it said that Moses was 40 years old when this happened. And he was most likely being groomed for some sort of leadership in the Egyptian empire. But God had some other form of leadership that would be a greater legacy. Because he went from an, uh, from an orphan secretly, raised by his mother, to a privileged Hebrew by adoption in the empire. And now at the age of 40, he's on the run as a murderer. What a life story that is, right? But what a life and testimony. He he may have had some good education and some of the top philosophical training, but we see that it would amount to nothing until God would come into his life. See, he thought that he could bury his sin in the sand. But yet, someone seen what he did and then called him out on it. And, and after that, it obviously messed him up. If he didn't commit the murder... He may have been able to to be more effective, but he was called out on it. Who are you to call us out on fighting when you murdered someone and buried him in what you thought was a secret? And reading this is a simple reminder that we think that we can get away with things, especially when no one's seen them. But yet, even if no one's seen what was done, there is a set of eyes that nothing is hidden from. And maybe there are things that no one has seen, but there will be an evaluation of all of these things one day, even if nobody did see it, from a human standpoint. But, you know, God, again, God had a plan and a purpose for Moses. And during his time in hiding, um, this was a time of preparation. He ended up right where he needed to be, because many have fled from God and felt like their life was over. And And this is a reminder to not give up. Uh, Some need to be strangers in a strange land. Some need to be in a quiet place at times to reflect or to be trained without even realizing that God is training them such as Moses did. But Moses should have dealt with capital punishment as it was that for killing another Egyptian. That That was the laws in those empires. But murder was wrong in most cultures. And as Moses looked to the right and then he looked to the left, he wasn't aware of one other direction he should have looked, which was up. <laughs> he probably thought he, you know, he he did go uh, he did go for one of his brethren, but God, uh, but did God tell him to do such a thing? Right? He did good for one of his brethren, but did God tell him to murder somebody? Absolutely not. That would, have, that would contradict the commandments of thou shalt not murder that God told Moses directly in the future. God is showing us who he is by his ability to clean up a horrific mess that only we can mess up and only he can fix. He couldn't go, you know, Moses, he couldn't go to Canaan because of the people there. And, and another area of Egypt was out of the question, so he goes to Midian. Midian was the best place for... Um, uh, for him to be uh, for Moses because as the Midianites were actually of the seed of Abraham and it was a place where at least God the true God that Moses would meet personally is being known I mentioned earlier about um, again going to going to the wrong places or being in the wrong places and and again where this region of Midian God was known there God was worshipped there so he was led to the right place 
We can call it ancient day sanctuary as they had a place of refuge as the Egyptians had no reason to go over there. It, you know, it was across the wilderness of Sinai uh, on the other side of the Red Sea. So we can, uh, we can pat ourselves on the back for good decisions. But it was God's hand on the back of Moses moving him there. That was the difference. So let's take a look here what happens in, in verses uh, 16 to 20. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and they filled the, the troughs with water in their, for their father's flock. And then the shepherds came and drove them away but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come uh, so soon today? And he said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also uh, drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, Where is he? Why is it that you have, not, uh, why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And then Moses was content to live with the man that he gave Zipporah to his, uh, to his daughter to Moses. And she bore him a son and called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And now it happened in the process of the time that the king of Egypt had died. And then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage they, uh, because of the bondage that they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. And then, and then, God looked up at the children of Israel, upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. So again, the placing of God on Moses being at the right place at the right time is seen once again. He shows up as, as some women were getting water for their father's herd, and a group of shepherds show up as well to chase off the ladies. Because women were, again, they were not thought of very highly in the cultures and times there. Still aren't in some places or most places over in the East. And Moses was able to deal with the situation because I, I did not mention that as an Egyptian prince, he also, outside of his education and other privileged perks, he would have been also well trained in the Egyptian military. As it was actually the most powerful military at that time in the world. So it would have been like having someone in the special forces on your side. A group of shepherds would not actually be able to handle someone with that kind of skill. So in hospitable fashion and being thankful, Ruel, was also, uh, who was also called Jethro, uh, gets on his daughters about not inviting him over for bread. <laughs> it was obvious that he was drifting, you know, being spotted as an Egyptian and going to a well. And in, like I said, in verses 21 through 25, we see what God had done next. God had brought him to the right place. He brought him to the right house. And, and it says that well, I have to give it to Moses that he was content to live with his father-in-law in the middle of nowhere with his seven daughters. Coming from the, the finest settings and background of having everything you know, everything he could ever want. It actually says a lot about his character, considering the fact of what he gave up. He had no other choice, but he, he could have demanded, um, you know, the luxuries he was used to. I, I've seen many over the years who have had a life of comfort and luxury, money and possessions, you know, traveling all the time, lose it all. I've seen them lose it, and then their their demeanor is in misery. Because now they can't do 
what they want, when they want, and now they will actually have to work for a living. That's, a, that's probably the biggest bummer for some of these people. Moses was that person, but was not the typical person. He lost it all, but was okay with it. He, he probably had something that he realized was missing, which was a true family household versus a, a royal superficial lifestyle. And like Moses, as God was overseeing him and his life and situation, God heard the cries of his people. And it said that God looked upon the children of Israel and acknowledged them. And what a comfort to know that God does that, that he acknowledges, he hears, he sees, and most of all comes to us in, a, in one way, shape, or form. It, it may not be in the time frame we always like or want, but his time is always perfect. And I'm not sure when Moses was uh, was in the outlook of God being raised in the uh, way, you know, Moses' outlook on God being raised in the Egyptian Empire and culture, where numerous gods were worshipped. But God knew that Moses was a part of His people and also a part of the covenant made with His people. Because again, you have to remember Moses was adopted now as a baby, and all the way up to the age of forty, uh, Moses was probably not taught to worship the one true God that he will get to know. And what is neat about God is that he is in the, he is in the same heart and relationship with anyone that wants to be with him. Because he sent his only begotten son to die for the sins of the world. And that was the ultimate for acknowledging what was needed. If we acknowledge Christ who came to deliver us, not from certain things or places, but from damnation and acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, then we will be in God's favor and place with Him. But it comes down to more than just acknowledging. There must be a receiving. You know, God and Moses met. We're going to see where they're going to meet in the next chapter. Well, Christ does that too. He meets you right where you're at. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe this is your first time hearing anything in the Bible. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how does this work? I, I've heard of heaven. I've heard of, I've heard of God. I've heard of Christ, and I, I heard that you know that Jesus died for my sins and all this stuff. And then I've also heard of Moses before. I heard about how God had used him and so on and so forth. And, and what does this have to do with with my salvation? Well, really, again, the Word of God has to do with 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 everything. But your salvation comes through that as well, through knowing Christ Jesus and receiving Christ Jesus, who was the Son of God who came down to die for the sins of this world. All of this that we're reading right now was part of the stepping stones of everything to come. So I, I encourage you to, to follow along. And if, if you're re- hearing this for the first time, just know that if you're, being, if you're being called to receive the Lord, that is the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Because he loves you and he wants you. He's been waiting for you. And, and, and there's, no, there's no time to waste here. We, this is something that I recommend that we do right away because tomorrow is never guaranteed. If you're being called, then may you receive right now as we speak. Because again, each day is never guaranteed. Whenever you fall asleep, it's by God's grace that you wake up every morning. It's by God's grace that you make it home safely every day. 
and I, I would like to be in his good graces. I'd like to be in his, in his will and in his hand. And this is an opportunity for you as well to receive that if you want it. God would never force himself on you, but he wants all. And this is the time and, and the place right here and now if you want to receive him. If you want to say a prayer after me, you can receive the Lord Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And just repeat after me as it says, Father Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all of my sins as I confess to you that I am a sinner. Lord, I want to thank you for dying for me on the cross. I thank you for giving me eternal life, Lord. And I ask of you, Lord, to wash away my sins, Father Lord. As Lord, as I receive you as my Father, as my Lord and my Savior. And may I walk with you, Lord, for all of the days, Lord. And may I be with you when my time is up, Father. I thank you for having me. I thank you for dying for me, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, what a blessing it is again. And, and uh, Exodus, we're going to be here for a little while. So I, I pray that if you've joined, uh, again, you could go back on the uh, website and you could uh, continue to follow along because it's, it's going to be uh, quite an adventure to see what God does here. So I pray that, again, that if you've said this prayer, remember that it's continual. We must stay the course. We must stay with Him at all times. You know, He's watching every move. He loves you that much. And I pray that we would love Him that much. That we call out to Him. Through the good times, through the bad times. That we would have a true relationship with Him in a walk. A walk that's closer than, than any walk we've had with our closest friends. Because our Lord is the best thing that's ever happened to you. <laughs> so may God bless you and keep you. 